Hey everyone, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. It's been an exciting week in the NHL and we have some answers at least to where the Devils will be drafting with all their first round picks available this year given some of the results that transpired over the past week. And here to break down the results of round one with me and also to take a look at some potential picks the Devils could look at in the 18th slot which has now been locked in is John Fisher. Hey John. Hi Dan. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm happy knowing that at the very least, the Arizona Coyotes will not be making the conference finals, which means that that draft pick for the New Jersey Devils will end up at the 18 slot. So they're definitely drafting 7th overall, 18th overall, and they're waiting to see the results. So let's go through um, and see what they're waiting on for that 20th pick that currently belongs to the Vancouver Canucks. And Sorry, it belongs to the New Jersey Devils, but it currently sits at number 20 and might move depending on the results of uh, the Canucks series against the Vegas Golden Knights. That's right. This is a good segue into discussing what happened in the first round, which took all of 11 days to take care of with no sweeps and no seven-game series. Mm -hmm. In fact, the NHL has been so consistent with the idea of just wanting to keep this whole thing moving is that even if uh, there was going to be a game seven today, um, I'm sorry, last night on Saturday, they were still going to start the second round because their team's ready. But that was not the case because we got to witness it all in the first round, including an epic comeback in the final game of the first round. But that's a tease for later. So yeah. <laughs> I'll just quickly go over. Let's quickly go over what happened first in the East. Mm-hmm. First and foremost in the East, let's start with the Islanders yes. taking out Washington because Washington yes. was the uh, one of two teams who had participated in the round robin that didn't end up advancing uh, past the first round of the playoffs. And the Islanders pretty much just bullied Washington for five games straight. I mean, they, they didn't they won in five, so they did lose a game here, you know, along the way, but they looked damn impressive the whole time. That's right. This was basically the Barry Trotz series since Trotz used to coach the Capitals and now he coaches the Islanders. And Trotz was amazing as a coach. Uh, the Islanders looked motivated. They understood their game plan. Um, they obviously got much better goaltending out of Semyon Varmalov compared to Braden Holtby, who is a free agent that I do not want the Devils to sign this summer. Um, and yeah, I mean... Whatever was working for the Capitals in the past it just didn't click. And instead of making the appropriate adjustments, the Islanders just took them to school over and over and over and over again. Yeah, they completely choked them out in the neutral zone. The Capitals, when trying to mount a comeback in uh, the final game, really couldn't make anything at all happen. And the Islanders seemingly coasted to a five-game finish here. Now go to take on the Philadelphia Flyers, who had a much tougher time than people would expect with the Montreal Canadiens, but that might be, you know, due to the merit of the Canadiens having still one of the better goalies in the league and also that underdog factor where no one really expected them to be here. And mathematically, they shouldn't have been here by any stretch back in March, but they did manage to get past the Pittsburgh Penguins in the qualifier for a chance to play against Philly, and they, they had a good showing. There's a lot of optimism going forward for the Canadians that maybe didn't exist back in March, but um, it was a good showing against a strong Flyers team, but at the end of the day, they just were you know heads above them talent-wise, and Carter Hart pitched a couple shutouts, and there you go. The Flyers move on to face New York. That's right, and there's definitely a lot of I would say respect 
for the Montreal Canadiens. To your point, back in March, they were basically in a similar situation to the New Jersey Devils and the Buffalo Sabres, where they just did not belong. But they proved themselves in the qualifying round. They proved they weren't a total fluke to get past Pittsburgh. As you mentioned, Price played well. Um, the series which was filled with some drama, um, you know, with a nasty incident uh, where Brendan Gallagher's jaw got uh, broken. And Elaine Vigneault, head coach of the Flyers, referenced an old comment uh, Gallagher made about how when he he apparently broke Derek Stepan's jaw and Gallagher said something like, oh, well, I saw him talking to the referee five minutes later, so it can't be that broken. You know, there was just all sorts of uh, uh, beef and, and nonsense. But the Flyers, you know, escaped the potential, you know, heartbreaking game seven, which is unfortunate since we would enjoy seeing the Flyers fail. So we, it is now upon Lou Lamorello, Barry Trotz, and a whole bunch of guys on – from Long Island to take care of business in the second round. Yeah. And I, I have a certain level of confidence that they'll be able to do it. It's just a matter of whether the flyers find their game back or just maintain that level of frustration that the Canadians uh, put them into. But you know, they're, they're a strong team. They also have a very prolific and successful coach in terms of getting teams um, deep in playoff runs in Alain Vigneault. And this is a matchup between, you know, Jack Adams candidates, Jack Adams winners in the past, and it's a very tough, it's a very tough coaching matchup to look at, but it should be a very interesting series, just like the other one in the East where Boston takes on Tampa, and this is a series that, you know, back in March, this is the two best teams in the entire NHL who find themselves competing against each other in the second round of the playoffs because... Boston dispatched Carolina in a pretty meek five games as well. And Tampa, while given fits against Columbus, still managed to make it only a five-game series as they finally got over the demons that are the Blue Jackets. Well, you know, this is a great example. These two series are great examples of why you can't just look at the number of games in a series and conclude, oh, it must have been an easy time. Because Tampa Bay did not have an easy time with Columbus. (laughs) I mean, the first game was a five-overtime Game And that was followed up by Columbus taking game two. And you're starting to think yourself, okay, wow, if Columbus can hang after losing a five overtime game, you know, they've got something. And every one of those games were close. They were tightly, um, tightly played. There was lots of uh, physical play. There was lots of attempts at the net. Both Andre Vasilevsky and um, Junas Corposalo played very, very, very well. You know, I would say Tampa Bay definitely had the better of the run of play. They probably deserved to win the games, and they did. But uh, by no means was this easy. Compare that to Boston, Carolina, where Carolina just sputtered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Boston basically flexed on them. It was clear who was the better team, who was the more talented team. It was also clear that um, despite Tuka Rask understandably leaving the bubble to go back to his family due to an emergency, that uh, Yaroslav Halak, you know, isn't a scrub. He's much better than James Reimer and Peter Morozik. And once again, Carolina is out early. They're, you know, they're a classic example of a team that should be better than what they are, but they don't figure out the goaltending. They don't figure out the special teams. And until they do, they won't be, Dan. They just won't. And Boston proved that. Yeah, and it was a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference Final where Boston pretty easily manhandled Carolina as well. So they've got a long way to go to catch the... Uh, seemingly the top contenders in that Eastern Conference. But let's say you take all the overtime periods combined in Tampa-Columbus, and it's a pretty good answer as to why this series was a lot closer than the games would indicate, because in reality, they played the equivalent of seven games. There were five overtimes and then in the first game, and then there was an overtime in the last one. So 
you know, they they definitely got their money's worth that series. And I wonder how Tampa responds to all that extra game time against a Boston team that is talent-wise much better than Columbus. But who knows how they'll be playing. But they have another um, Jack Adams nominee as their coach in Bruce Cassidy. Absolutely. It should be among all the four second-round matchups, this one is probably going to be the, the biggest one in terms of you got the marquee matchups, you've got the talent level, you've got the coaching. You know, whoever comes out of this should be considered to be strong favors to represent the East in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I'm not just saying that because, well, the, the winner goes to the Eastern Conference Finals, and therefore, of course, they would be contenders because they're, they're in it. Um, no, I'm just saying that quality-wise, both of these teams could make a run to the Cup, and I could say, yeah, I could see it. Yeah, and really no flukes here either. Like I mentioned that Washington was the only team who participated in the round robin not to get through, but that's not because they, you know, they didn't deserve to get through from this round. The Islanders completely overpowered them in their series, and the Islanders look like they should have been the ones in the round robin instead. So, you know, yep. one, two, three, and five seeds going through is not. Oh, sorry. One, two, um, four, six getting through is not a huge surprise. That's one upset there. But really, the Islanders and Washington look like if the season had gone on a few more weeks and they played at the levels they played at, they might have switched spots in the standings anyway. Who knows? That's all speculation. But let's move to the Western Conference where yes. um, these implications for the Devils in terms of their picks were hammered out when the Arizona Coyotes meekly fell to the Colorado Avalanche after a few close games to start the series and then back-to-back 7-1 drubbings to really <laughs> yeah. emphasize the point that Colorado is that much better than Arizona right now. I mean, there were a number of Devil fans online on social media at All About the Jersey who were saying, oh, you know, maybe we should cheer for Arizona because you can upgrade the 2021 pick. And I'm thinking to myself, guys, Colorado is like really, really good. And Arizona <laughs> is not. And yeah, pro- point proven. Uh, Colorado's really, really good. And Arizona's basically, can Darcy Cooper bail us out for uh, 60 minutes? And that only happened for one game. Um, yeah, the right team won this one. And as such... The most likely situation did occur when we knew Arizona beat Nashville, that they were likely going to lose in the first round, and they did. And uh, thanks to Montreal losing and thanks to Chicago losing, they're as you said, they're at the top of the show. They're locked in at 18th overall. Arizona is in a bad place right now, Dan. They don't have a GM. Mm-hmm. They're capped out for next season already. They're already, you know, try, you know, whoever the new GM is going to be is going to have to make some tough decisions and take a bad Arizona team that shouldn't have been in the playoffs to begin with and make them worse just to clear cap space. Mm-hmm. I do not envy whoever's going to take that job. Well, they're in that awkward uh, middle ground, like depending on what happens this offseason, right? Depending on what the resolution is with Hall. I mean, there's yesterday Friedman floating rumors about potentially them moving Oliver Ekman Larson, but they seem like they're going to be stuck in that mushy middle of the NHL where they could maybe be good enough to earn a playoff spot, but once they get there, not no. really accomplish much. No, I don't think they're even going to get there. I, I really don't have a lot of faith in their quality unless Barrett Hayton and Clayton Keller and Jacob Chitrin all play out of their minds. But even then, you know, they just they just have a lot of older players tied up to huge contracts. I mean, well, let's never uh, underestimate the ability of a John Hines team to underperform severely and miss the playoffs, opening up the extra this, spot that the Coyotes might need. This is true. This is true. <laughs> I mean, we should have known, Dan. We definitely should have we known. We definitely should have known. And another former Devils coach can do us a solid um, in terms of locking in the Devils' third first-rounder this year as the Vancouver Canucks beat the only other round-robin team to not advance, the St. Louis Blues, the former champs, um, 
And now it lands on the Vegas Golden Knights to take out the Canucks for uh, Devils fans to know that they'll be picking 20th in the first round as well as 18th and 7th. But let's take a look at some of these series as well, because Vegas Chicago was only ever going to go one way. Yep. And it went the right way. Yeah. There was no surprise. I mean, Chicago weren't total doormats. So I guess credit to them. They didn't have the worst performance of the first round, but let's be real. Vegas needed to, you know, flop on their face to lose the series, and they didn't. Yeah. Now they just have to. Now they just have to deal with some manufactured drama <laughs> from so from agent and social media um, doofus Alan Walsh, yeah. <laughs> as apparently Mark Andre Fleury is unhappy that Robin Leonard outplayed him and is got the minutes, and so the agent decided the day before they're playing their first game. This is tonight as we're recording to post a a, a rather well drawn. You know, Marc Andre Fleury, like almost like a they got an artist representation, like they paid somebody money to make this, uh, and have a giant sword going through his back <laughs> with the word De Boer on it, in case the, uh, in case you didn't want to understand that there wasn't going to be anything subtle about this picture. It was about as subtle as a brick to the face. <laughs> uh, and Alan Walsh does represent Marc Andre Fleury, so this wasn't just Alan Walsh being like, "Yeah, I like, I like the flowers," so therefore, you know. I'm going to, you know, support this guy just because I like him. No, 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 no. He represents him. So this is why, <laughs> why are you creating drama? Uh, I don't like this. Is we the need same, Vegas to win this series. <laughs> this is the same Marc-Andre Fleury, by the way, who everyone has always called a consummate teammate. He stepped down and was praised for the way in which he did it when Matt Murray took over the goal during Pittsburgh's um, most recent cup runs. And he has not made a peep indicating that he is upset with his situation whatsoever so this drama it may be reflecting his real feelings but it's certainly not something that he's been saying to impact the team so i don't understand why the agent feels the need to get involved here but i, I really don't think it'll be an issue for them at all flurry seems like the kind of guy who is very team first especially seeing the vegas team that he has in front of him so i'm I don't think there are any concerns from the Vegas perspective about that causing any sort of locker room controversy. I think they know what their roles are moving forward. And I think Pete DeBoer, um, who, again, has taken two teams to the cup final so far, gets the chance to do it again. But he knows what roles his players should play. Right. Well, the big concern here is that Vancouver has every reason to feel good here. I mean, Quinn Hughes looks like a stud. Brock Besser has played incredibly well. Elias, P Elias Peterson has played very well. They're getting contributions from JT Miller. They're getting contributions from a lot of other players. So, you know, this is – and Jacob Markstrom looks great in that. So, I mean, this Vancouver team, which, again, for the benefit of the Devils, we need them to lose this series. Otherwise, <laughs> that first rounder becomes 27th overall, mm -hmm. and we don't want that. Oh, at least so, 27th overall. At least. That's right. If Vancouver goes further, if they go all the way, you know, it's 31. It's John Quenville territory. Or – well, it should have been braided point territory, well, but you know. I don't want to re I don't want to relitigate that particular draft class because <laughs> I don't want to be sad on the show. So let's talk about some other Western Conference series because we've already discussed that one in a little bit of depth. We talked about the manufactured drama. Let's talk about the one Western Conference series that doesn't really have any stakes for the Devils, but should just be fun. And it already started. <laughs> yeah. So Colorado and Dallas played their first game yesterday with Dallas uh, holding on to an impressive 5-3 win. Dallas, who was having issues scoring 
the entirety of the beginning of the bubble figured something out against Calgary because in their elimination game against Calgary, oh, yeah. they went down by three goals in the first like 10 minutes, something like that, or definitely first, fi- first 15 minutes. It, it, it was like, just turn off the, just turn off the TV. You know, yeah. Calgary was going to win that game. And if you turn off the TV, you'd miss seven unanswered goals from the Dallas stars, including four from Dennis Kurianov. And all of a sudden the flames were just completely blitzed off the ice in the final two periods. And Dallas, um, to their credit, they look structured. They look good against Colorado and the goals are going to come one way or another in that series, but it's important for Dallas to be able to keep pace against the likes of, uh, McKinnon, Ronton and Landeskog, uh, so on and so forth. And Kadri, who's having an insane playoff. So credit to them. They look a lot better than they did when the bubble started and really leading up to it in the first place. So the Dallas stars advance past the Calgary flames. And again, no implications for the devils either way. Right. However, I will point out that the rumor mill is already churning in Calgary since, you know, getting blitzed 7-4 with seven unanswered goals allowed. I'm sorry, 7-3 for seven unanswered goals allowed in an elimination game has already churned up the media pressure on Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan, which I think is weird because I don't understand how Calgary can be a good team without those players. But if you figure they're going to make a big run for Taylor Hall – Maybe they become available on the market, and I can think of a team that could absorb their cap hits, Dan. Yeah, can you? (laughs) Yeah, I can. Um, We happen to support them. Now, again, everything is rumor, rumor, rumor. It doesn't mean anything is actually in stone. And chances, you know, if I were Calgary, if I were the people in, you know, if I was in in the room, so to speak, I would say, guys, let's just take a week off, clear our heads. And not make any panic decisions. I know the NHL not so uh, subtly said, hey, you know, teams eliminated from the playoffs can make transactions. But uh, that doesn't mean Calgary has to. That being said, if they want to deal Sean Monaghan to the New Jersey Devils because they're mad at him, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. I would be listening to that. <laughs> yeah. It's a matter of, I think they're just restless for some sort of change since they haven't made it out of the second round with this core yet. And granted, this core is still very young, but they've had a lot of coaching changes in the meantime for one reason or another. Um, They've had a fair amount of roster turnover, but the core being what it is still has not advanced past the first round of the playoffs. So maybe they're looking at this and saying, okay, while they're still young, while they have value, let's retool the system because... They don't want to be in that mushy middle that Arizona will find themselves in, as we just decided. So it's that kind of thing where, yeah, I mean, it's working to some degree to get them there, but no one really takes them seriously as a contender once they're there. Right. In fact, I would argue Calgary's actually in that mushy middle. Arizona's not good enough to be mushy yet. They're okay. just slop. <laughs> they're just a little below the mush. Right. They're below the mush. But you know what, Dan? This is a Devils podcast. <laughs> And as a Devils podcast, we have and as a Devils podcast, we have to take a commercial break real quick as a Devils you podcast or any other podcast. But we'll be right back and talk through some more Devils-related things at the other end of this break. All right, we're back here, and now it's time to get to the Devils portion of our program because, as we mentioned, that 18th overall pick is locked in. That's not going anywhere. Arizona's out. Montreal's out. Chicago's out. There you go. Devils are picking at least 7th and 18th. So, John, what are we looking at in terms of the 18th overall pick? And this is obviously a lot harder to speculate since you don't know what other teams will be doing. You can only look at mock drafts and see which names typically come up in that range. But what are some names we can look out for in that in that space? Right. So the, the Devils will definitely have a plethora, and I'm going to use that word, plethora, 
of forward talent to pick from, and even some solid defensive players as well. Definitely not, obviously, the top class, because those guys are going to go in the top 10, top 11, top 12. Um, but if you're looking for the second tier of forwards and defensemen in this class, they're definitely not bad prospects and definitely players that could become somebody someday and somebody important. And it's on the Devils of, and any other team picking that range to identify who they are, because that's their job. So some, some names to consider um, for forward at 18 – you could, you know, if you get really lucky and one of Seth Jarvis or Jack Quinn are available, I would definitely run up to the virtual podium and take those wingers. Uh, both of them are very good scorers. Both of them have very good shots. Both of them have had a lot of success in their pre- in their previous seasons in Major Junior. I think they would be uh, very fine selections to a Devils draft pool. Um, sorry, Devils prospect pool that could definitely all use um, more scoring talent, especially at wing. Uh, Nolan Foot alone can't be the guy. Get some other guys to do it. Um, if you want to go with a center, you could always go with, look at Connor Zari or Jacob Perot, uh, two guys who have done very well in Major Junior. I don't think they get a lot of credit um, that they uh, maybe should get. But again, that's I think speaks to the level of forward talent in this year's draft class. It'd be a little more contentious to take Dylan Holloway and definitely more contentious to take Hendricks LaPierre. Uh, LaPierre is the guy with the concussion and neck I- injuries. Mm-hmm. However, if he is 100% healthy and can stay healthy, you know, he legitimately has, could be argued, top 10 talent in this draft class. So, you know, it would definitely be a, a reach, a, a bit of a home run swing. But if you hit big, you get a home run. And Dylan Holloway definitely did not impress in Wisconsin. But if you listen to guys like Steve Kurianos and Will Scouch and you know, anybody from the Dupper Prospect teams, they'll tell you that Wisconsin was just a weird, weird, weird team. Like everybody on Wisconsin just looked poor for whatever reason. So Holloway definitely didn't have a strong, you know, draft eligible season, but his team was also just in this weird zone of like, what are you guys even doing as a team? Like you have Condre Miller, you have all these other NHL players, future NHL players. Why, what's going on with you? So Holloway may fall to 18 in that respect, and the Devils could pick up a W there if, if Holloway turns out to be better than um, what he looked like in Wisconsin. Um, if they don't mind waiting on some Russian talent, Rodion Amarayev could be available, and that would definitely be a very fine pick. I think he's very talented. I think talent-wise, he could definitely be in that 10 to 15 range, but because he plays in Russia, um, you know, you have to consider the KHL cat uh Contract status, you have to also consider the fact that he was mostly in the MHL, and the MHL as a league isn't exactly, you know, it's not the same as Major Junior Dan. It's not the same as uh, Sweden or Finland. Isn't that two steps below the KHL? No, the MHL is more like the junior version of, in, in KHL. The oh, VHL okay. is like their AHL equivalent. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. So it's a, so it goes KHL, VHL is the minor league, so to speak, the second tier, mm-hmm. and the MHL is where the younger players play. I think it, to use a soccer analogy, it's it's I think analogous to your under twenty gotcha, or under nineteen gotcha. leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely talented players there, guys with futures. But you know, as Will likes, as Will Scouch likes to say, it's a league where you kind of let the play just figure itself out it's not it's not as intense as say any of the three major junior hockey leagues definitely not as intense as say college hockey you know so there's definitely a level of you know you know we talk about the transition from the european game to the north american game it's not just the rink size it's literally the intensity of the play and you know that's something that is a big question for anybody who plays in the nhl Mm -hmm. not just amarayev but amarayev definitely has the talent that he if he does figure it out it would be very tantalizing uh, in terms of defensemen, um, 
again, Braden Schneider and Caden Gooley will definitely be uh, viable options at 18, provided they don't go earlier. Uh, both of those guys are solid, physical, strong defensemen out of the WHL, almost prototypical for the WHL in that respect. Um, if you want to take a swing on a guy who I think is talented, but you know he did have some health issues, uh, Justin Barron out of the QMJHL with Halifax, definitely is a guy you would be taking a swing, but um, it's definitely not as risky as LaPierre. I'll say that much. I think he definitely has a future in the NHL. And if you want to reach a little bit, uh, Ryan O'Rourke out of the OHL is probably the second best defenseman out of the OHL this season uh, behind Jamie Drysdale. And everybody's favorite six foot four project uh, uh, defenseman out of Sweden, William Wallander. It's definitely a very viable option. If you believe in his size, you believe he'll grow into it and you believe that he'll develop in his um, current form, then shoot your shot at 18. And if he develops as you think he does, that becomes a big win at 18. So a lot of different options. And there's definitely guys, you know, that could be discussed. You know, Ridley Grieg is apparently rising up the rankings, uh, so to speak. Noel Goonler will probably be an interesting option since some think he's potential top 10 at one point. If you like the Germans, you can have J.J. Paterka or William. I'm sorry. Uh, you can go with Reichel. And if you want to go with a Russian junior that wasn't necessarily in the MHL, uh, Marat Kushnadinov, the, the meme is real. <laughs> He's got the talent. He doesn't got the size. But if, if he can figure it out, you know, hey, he, he could be a real surprise there. So definitely a lot of options at 18. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just close it by saying if you're expecting Askarov to be there, I wouldn't hold your breath. I honestly think he's going to go before 18. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, again, this is the point in the draft where there could be someone that goes completely off board several picks before. So there might be people available who are projected more for the 14-15 range that fall to this spot, which is like what happened when the Devils last drafted in, in this range in 2018. They drafted 17th to get Ty Smith, who... I don't think anyone thought he'd be available by then. Correct. Thank you. I was just about to say Ty, Ty Smith is a perfect example of this. Mm -hmm. So don't fret. 18 is not a bad place to pick from. And yeah, the Devils have picked 18th before in their history, selecting uh, in 1982 in the first round, a guy named Ken Danico. Uh, he ended up being mm -hmm. pretty good for New Jersey's team, as well as in 1989, they picked Jason uh, Miller, a center out of Canada who uh, didn't do much. In 1992, they picked Jason Smith, another defender who got 1,000 NHL games under his belt as well. In 1995, they picked Peter Sikora with that 18th pick, and we all know his history with New Jersey. And otherwise, if we're talking around 17-18, yeah, you can throw in Zach Parisi at 17-03, and Ty Smith at 17-2018. Um, otherwise, around that range, that's that's pretty much the only times the devils have picked in there. But if we're looking at past histories with the 18th pick, and because we can't really settle in where this Vancouver pick is going to land just yet, let's take a look at another pick that they were granted this weekend by virtue of Sammy Votnin having played in at least 70% of Carolina's playoff games this year uh, in their five game loss to Boston. The devils got a third round pick from the hurricanes and the third round uh, historically has not been a terrible place for New Jersey to find some talent. No, the Devils have done better than most NHL teams in the third round. And I'm going to run off some names here, Dan. Uh, so the Devils have had 48 picks in the third round since 1982, since they moved to New Jersey. OK, mm -hmm. now I understand I'm comparing some apples to oranges here because all those picks in the 80s and the 90s and early 90s 
the third rounder was typically in the 40, 50, 60 range, as opposed to the tri- more tri- now current 70, 80, 90 range. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I'm going to run through some names here, Dan, about the successes here. Because by my count, you know, I'm defining success here as if you played at least 100 games in the NHL, if you get over 100 NHL games out of a third rounder, even if you didn't play for your team, you did well in the third round. You picked a guy that clearly was an NHL player. Mm-hmm. So here's the list. The first one, the first third rounder in New Jersey history was Pat Verbeek. Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> they, they, they succeeded wildly there. Yeah. And then in 1988, uh, Zeno Seeger, who played 352 games, um, you know, wasn't exactly a world-breaking player, but hey, you got a player in the third round. Scott Pellerin, similar um, forward who um, hung around for 536 games. That's another success in 89. In 1990, the Devils drafted Mike Dunham and Brad Bombardier. Um, you know, they again, their games were mostly not with New Jersey. Okay, Dunham spent a lot of time in New Jersey, but typically on the bench, not getting games since Berdora was playing all of them. But uh, that's two more third-round successes. Kale Hulse played 619 games. He was a third-rounder in 1992. Christoph Oliwa, believe it or not, played 410 games <laughs> in the NHL. He may have spent more time in the penalty box than he got in, in terms of actual lifetime. But hey, third rounder in 1993, that's a success. Another big success in 1994, again, not with New Jersey, but uh, Sheldon Surrey, 758 games, very solid defenseman for throughout his career. He was the third rounder in 1994. 1996, similar to Oluwa, Scott Parker, kind of a tough guy, not very good. But hey, 1996, third rounder, played 308 games. That's a win. Now, here's a, here's a name that you should know, Dan. Third rounder from 1998. Mm-hmm. You know his brother more recently than him. Yes, yes. I am talking about the Rochester Rocket himself, Brian Gianta, who has actually reached the 1,000-game mark uh, with uh, Buffalo in this past season. Mm-hmm. So total success, especially for a guy who I think was a generous five foot six on the <laughs> ice. Um, right. Speaking of generous uh, results, Mike Rupp in 2000. He was a redrafted pick. Uh Infamously was drafted top 10 in 1998 because Bobby Orr told the Islanders, hey, he looks great. Um, didn't make it. Didn't sign him. Devils picked him up in the third round, played 609 NHL games. And, oh, yeah, scored a cup-winning goal in 2003. That's a win for any third rounder and maybe for most draft picks, Dan. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to stretch to the definition of victory a little bit here because <laughs> they're a little more recent. But Mark Frazier played over 200 games in the NHL. He was a third rounder in 2005. Adam Henrique was a third rounder in 2008. Total success right there. Scored a very important goal in recent Devils history. And the most recent success was Blake Coleman, third rounder, overage draft pick in 2011 at 75th overall. And this is not to, not even to include guys like uh, Vladimir Zharkov, who I thought was great. And apparently only Jacques Lemaire thought was great since once Lemaire left the Devils an additional time, he did not get any more games. Mm-hmm. Nick Palmieri, who did well relatively well yeah <laughs> given his positioning but hey say, well seems generous <laughs> but hey he, he got 87 games in the nhl and he was traded for marek zedliski who played well for the devils despite his aversion to defense at times mm-hmm. and even though it's too early to call anybody from like 2016 onward to be a success but joey anderson already has 52 nhl games he was a third rounder in 2016 and the third rounders picked after him were brendan zignac Fabian Zetterlund, Riley Walsh, who was recently signed to his first ELC contract, uh, Daniel Misul, Graham Clark, and Michael Vukojevic. So the Devils definitely have some guys in the pipeline for the third rounder. But by my count, Dan, this is 14 successful picks out of, um, again, not including anybody from 2016 onward. 
That's 14 out of 41. That's better than 30%, which is typically a lot better than what a lot of other teams get out of the third round. Mm -hmm. And that's not even including guys who got cups of coffee in the NHL. So you could at least argue those guys could be considered quote unquote successes because they at least made it to the show for a little bit. I'm talking about the guys like the Scott Wedgwoods, the Alexander Urbombs, the Sergei Vish. Vishenkevich from 1995. I just wanted to try to get his name out there so he can laugh at me. And of course, the legend, 1986 third rounder Yanni Ohamid. He's not a legend. Not, <laughs> not a legend. Uh, not, not a, a legend. Not a legend. But yeah, it, it just goes to show that there's, you know, despite the pick being a third rounder, there is value there. And if they can, if they can find it, it can pay off in a big way. But also, it gives them an additional asset with which to work at this draft. It's a, it's a pick that they did not know that they would have going into this. So now, yeah, they have three picks in the first round, and they're not sure where the last one will end up. But just having that presence in the third round gives them a lot of um, flexibility to move that pick around or get more picks in the third as they see players dropping that they like. So um, very good that they were able to recoup the third there with the Votnin deal because, you know, Carolina didn't make it out of the first round, but the Devils got Quackenden in the third out of it. So not too bad a haul at all for Especially a player on for, an expiring uh, contract. And a player who was injured at the time of the trade. Right, too. right, exactly. And who so knows th- what value so- they could have gotten otherwise. So thank you to the Swallows coach, coach in the NHL for continuing to play Sammy Vatnin. We were scared after round, you know, game two that you weren't going to play him again, but you did. Thank you, Rod. Go do some bicep curls. Thanks to the third. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, in terms of that third, like no one's really speculating on the third round. It's it's less and less no. scouting than ever before this year, given the the pause status, but. I'm I'm intrigued to see what they decide to do with all of these picks, you know, where that first rounder could end up. Um, if we're talking the if it does remain the 20th overall pick, the Devils have picked 20th before as well. It's currently in that spot now, but very famously, the Devils in 1990 picked a guy by the name of Martin Brodeur at 20. Um, it, it paid off, some might say. And so did a 2004 20th overall in Travis Zajac. Uh, that very much paid off. Uh, but the other one that they had that was a 20th overall was more recent than Zajac, and I would say this is one of my least favorite players in Devils history, and that's Jacob Josephson. Oh, wh- why do you why do you not like Jacob Josephson, Dan? I just I don't because he was a 20th <laughs> overall who maybe stood on his skates for like 15% of the time he was on the ice. I'm just briefly looking at the 2009 draft just to say you know who they could have had. I. Incidentally, the guy picked after Yosasim was John Moore, mm-hmm. who the Devils did have and regrettably had. Oh, the Devils Marcus, were all over this first round, by the way. Yep, Marcus Johansson was picked 24th overall. The Devils had him, though he also did not stay on the ice for very long. Kyle Palmieri. No, <laughs> Kyle Palmieri, who the Devils have and may want to re-sign. And then afterwards, after him, it gets it gets iffy. I mean, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly was a second-round pick. So, you know, Alec Chais, Chai Chiaison, <laughs> Jacob Silverberg was a second rounder. Like that draft class, you know, Robin Leonard was a second draft, but they weren't going to pick a goalie then. They just were not going to pick a goalie at 2000 right. at first at first round. They just weren't. Okay, yeah, they they they're in retrospect there were some far better picks deeper in the draft, but they didn't do. This isn't like a Zaka situation where you're just like you could have had like eight other players and you pick the one player that just was not on their level. Well, yes, but regardless, just, you know, again, just mentioning that despite it being 18th or 20th, 
there can still be plenty of value there. There's oh, yeah. a lot of historically get good a, picks there. You can get an NHL player and an NHL player that could be significant for your team if you do your job and if the player does their job and if management does the right thing with development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of ifs in there, and especially with new management coming in, there's a lot of answers that they'll have to have. There's, I'm guessing there's going to be some new scouts at least um, given the regime change, but they have a lot to answer in terms of development. Like there's a lot of devil's prospects that have been touted as, Oh, you know, they could be good. They, they might be uh, a player at some point, but it seems that the development phase never really reaches there. And that's a problem that they've had to address for a little while now, but now even more so that they have the pipeline to actually address it. Like before they were focusing a lot of their development on a few very key prospects and the rest were just kind of there. But now there's a lot of, um, I would say prospect depth stretched out throughout the organization where they need to make sure that they hit on at least a few of these guys, if they want to be back and competing at any time in the near future. Absolutely. And, and to the, to their credit, you know, you know, as much as we could criticize Mr. Shero and what he's done, at the very least, he made a point of it to have the Devils have large draft classes. As much as I didn't like some of the picks from 2019, you know, they definitely loaded up on players. They got – and in prior years, I was actually very pleased with their drafts because they were going out and getting the guys that they just didn't have in their system. You know, guys like a Jesper Bokvist, guys like a Fabian Zaderlund, guys like a Mikhail Maltsev, guys like a Marion Studenich. And even though some of those guys may not be NHL players per se – they could at least be solid hands for your AHL team, and they could help um, instruct incoming prospects to that AHL team to say, hey, pro hockey isn't that easy. Here's what you need to do. Here's how we do business. Here's how to handle yourself and get them you know, get them going and get them playing the styles uh, similar to what the New Jersey Devils want to do. Now, granted, I know that Binghamton famously uh, changed their uh, way they play the game in terms of you know tactical on ice and formations and approaches and stuff like that. But I'm talking about uh, getting the culture, so to speak. And part of that was getting guys, just getting guys to be there. Cause in years past, there were just weren't very many guys, as you pointed out, there was just, here's a bunch of prospects we're keen on and a bunch of dudes who are just going to fill out to fill the roster here. There's at least guys, there's more opportunities. And hopefully with this draft class, which yeah, there's no second rounder. The third rounder for Carolina is going to be 89th overall. You still have nine draft picks. You're still, it, it, provided you don't trade them away, you get nine more prospects to add to the pool, nine more opportunities to have successful players, and three of which should have really reasonable expectations of being NHL players in the future. And you'll never know who is going to be available at that time to either move draft picks for or who of might, course. Uh, you know, what the situation in free agency will look like. The Devils might get an extra pick next year, depending on what Taylor Hall decides to do. So there, there's yeah. still conditions to work out. I mean, it's doesn't seem very likely that it's not i'm not holding my breath and you shouldn't either well listen there's a glimmer of hope there but you never know how the situation could change as the bubble moves along either i mean just five minutes ago as we're recording this podcast hard reardon has been fired as coach of the washington capitals so there's changes to come there as well there's um you know potential players on the move there now and they seem to want to clean things up and they they had the cup run they have the right pieces but I guess the drubbing by the Islanders was enough to say this isn't the right strategy or this isn't the right um, combination. So who knows how many more teams will discover that as the playoffs go on. Uh, to me, it feels like a bit of an overreaction, but who knows? 
maybe they saw something that we didn't and um, teams will keep seeing that as the playoffs roll on. So that's all for me. Do you have uh, anything else you want to add on? Not at the moment, but uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we'll learn who the devil's assistant coaches will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still waiting on information from that. that Lindy Russ still has to uh, sort that out with Mr. Fitzgerald and We'll see whether or not the New Jersey Devils make any other additional movements. So we may take a break here or there up in the coming weeks because, you know, lack of Devils hockey uh, obviously leaves us with very little to talk about. And you can only talk about draft picks over and over again, you know, so many times. So um, I just want to preface this by saying I want to thank all the listeners for continuing to be with us. And we'll let you know if we're active and if we're not. It won't be a long hiatus because sure, sure enough, something will happen and we'll have something to talk about because the Garden State of Hockey is always fresh. Yeah, and I just want to uh, you know, piggyback off that announcement and say that next week there will not be an episode since I am returning to the, uh, to the Garden State after a long time away. So uh, while I facilitate that transition, uh, we won't record an episode, but we'll be watching the playoffs carefully. We'll be um, watching for any sort of Devils related news and we'll have, we should have episodes back um, either the week after, if there's a lack of news, we'll make announcements on the site or on the Twitter page. How's that sound? Sounds good. Alrighty. So if that's the case, then that's been our time here on the Garden State of Hockey podcast. Thank you again for joining us and listening to some draft pick talk and listening to some playoff recaps. I'm Dan Roselle, been joined by John Fisher, and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. And as always, thank you for listening, and let's go Devils.